It's that time. Lock and load. The Michael Berry Show is on the air. We look forward every year to uh, our adoption special where we celebrate adoption and being a foster parent and the great memories many of our listeners have from that experience. And the the best to come of that, I find every year, is months later when someone says, you know what, I finally broke down and did it and I can't believe I waited this long. I'm so happy I did. A child has a home, a parent has a child, and all is well in our world. So we thought we'd start this year's adoption special with an interesting piece that's been written. It's called Chosen for Greatness, How Adoption Changes the World. It's written by Paul Batura, and he is our guest. Paul, why would, first of all, why write this book? Hi, Michael. Well, you know, it's a, it's a, topic that's near and dear to my heart. I'm an adoptive dad. We have three, three boys. They're 11, 6, and 4. And I wanted to try and uh, put together something that would m- make a few points. Number one, life is the better choice. There are so many parents out there, prospective parents, wanting to adopt. Over a million a year are waiting. And, uh, you know, there's a, unfortunately, there's a way too high abortion rate. Any, any number is too high. And uh, what a great thing to be able to match um, that uh, birth mom with an adoptive couple and then you have the foster care system which is overloaded with children lots of kids looking uh for a forever home and uh, just trying to celebrate those adoptions that have happened and to make the point that uh look there is an amazing amount of potential out there if you are have a heart that's open to taking a child in you could be raising the next president of the united states the next great inventor and that's that's sort of what was the inspiration for the project founder of Apple Computers, and on and on. And we'll talk about some of those stories. Uh, one of the greatest home run hitters of all time. Um, you know, I, I think it's part and parcel of the same argument. If you're going to be, we should all be for adoption, and we should all seek to find ways to, to put more children in foster homes with loving parents because the child didn't choose to be there. But especially if you're going to say you're pro-life. I think this is part of it's the next phase because an unplanned pregnancy is going to provide a child, and if we, somebody's got to step up and take care of that. I think that's exactly right. And you know, we often talk in the pro-life movement about you know uh, encouraging the birth mom to keep the baby, meaning to carry the baby to term, which is an, an immensely important thing. But then, what do you do next if if she's a single mom who does not have the means? Uh, and it's in a rough situation, what a loving thing to do. It's a very sacrificial thing to do, but I think we should encourage it wherever we can. And, you know, obviously, rather than just talk about it, if you feel that you have the capacity, the wherewithal, you know, there's a lot of different levels uh, of this that you can get involved in, like you alluded to. You could obviously adopt, you could foster, you could provide respite care, you could, uh, you know, work at a clinic, encourage moms, there's a lot you can do, but you're right. It's the it's job number one is if you're pro-life, 
you need to be pro-adoption. And that's, you know, the book that I did, I actually uh, had Larry King offer the afterword. You know, Larry King is, is a legend in the, in the broadcast industry. I don't think most people would consider him, you know, some strong pro-life advocate who's out there. But it shows, I think, that, you know, the adoption issue should be bipartisan. I think everyone can agree that a child deserves a mom and a dad. Um, and why not um, celebrate it this month? Agreed. You were talking, I thought you were going to go into it, but there's a group here in Houston called uh, Depelchin Center, and they do, they've won national awards. They do wonderful work for folks out there who have considered adopting or being a foster parent, and it's a wonderful organization. But are there some organizations across the country that you've seen that that you, you think are doing good work in this field? Well, I do. I, you know, there are so many great adoption agencies that work in both, uh, you know, infant placement and then foster care. The one that I'm real familiar with would be Bethany Christian Services. We use them uh, for our uh, middle guy, and they're wonderful. And, you know, they're based in Michigan, but they have offices all over the country. But, you know, if you look in your own area, there's going to be an agency. There's going to be, um, you know, people who are devoted to this issue, who have the kids' interest uh, at heart and will work with you and will, you know, in essence, create um, the best scenario for you. They want you to succeed. They're not just looking to plug a child into just any place. They want to find the right fit. Mm. And so there are going to be children, who, you know, middle-aged children who are going to do better in certain homes than others. But I really, I really applaud anyone in that industry. Paul Batura is the author of Chosen for Greatness, How Adoption Changes the World. Let's get into some of these 16 people who you studied the first as, as an Apple computer user, I mean, as an app, as an iProduct user, Steve Jobs. Yeah, Steve is such a fascinating story, Michael. He almost didn't go to the family he went to. The family that he was originally chosen to go to turned down the placement when they found out he was a, girl, a boy. They wanted a girl. And so they kind of scrambled at the last minute and wound up uh, matching him with Paul and Clara Jobs, as I say, who just, quote, happened to live in Silicon Valley. His father was a, a, um, a mechanic and was a real uh, craftsman of sorts and had a workshop in his garage. And what I, this, this is just, you know, the first example of many where children are placed with the right families and they're given the best opportunity to succeed because those, those parents bring out the best in the child. You know, Steve grew up in a neighborhood full of tech people, uh, a couple streets over where HP executives lived. He got to intern there. Uh, you know, he, he said his father loved to work on cars. He said, well, I didn't really love to work on cars, but I loved to be with my dad. And, and just working alongside him, he became uh, infatuated with uh, his father's passion for des- design. And his father used to say, you know, when you design something, even if someone doesn't see it, there's value to making good design. So if you know you open up an Apple computer, it looks quite beautiful, but it's because his father taught him, you know, that every little detail matters. Mm. And you know, he he that's that's the environment that he grew up in. And uh, I, I I find that just fascinating how God places certain people in certain uh, situations. And I think that's why we have, uh, you know, we were able to enjoy Steve Jobs' uh, inventions. I think that's what drove him uh, so hard. Uh, Paul, I have one minute left in this segment, and then we'll go to the next. But I wanted to get you to tell the story of when Steve Jobs, the little girl across the, tr- uh, the street, learns that he's adopted and how he responded to that. Yeah, that's a, that was a painful moment for him, but it was handled well by his parents. He, the child uh, 
said to him, oh, is that because someone didn't want you? And, you know, he took that very uh, uh, painfully and ran into his parents, and his parents did the, the, the thing, the exact thing they should do, and they wrapped their arms around him, and they said, oh, no, no, we, we chose you. And it said it filled him with such love and such affirmation that later in life he said, you know, I wanted to meet my birth mom to thank her, uh, one, for, you know, obviously choosing this family, but most of all for not aborting me. Yeah, they are my they were my parents, one thousand percent. That's what he told Walter Isaacson. Mm. The book is Chosen for Greatness, How Adoption Changes the World. The author is Paul Batura. It's our adoption special. We'll continue coming up. Family, togetherness. The most important thing to me is family. Made sure that I had anything that I ever wanted didn't spoil me, but made sure that I was completely cared for. So, Because every child deserves a loving home, The Michael Berry Show celebrates adoption. The book is called Chosen for Greatness, How Adoption Changes the World. The author is Paul Batura. It's our annual adoption special. We were going through the 16 lives you profile in the book. Nancy Reagan steps out uh, or or, uh, jumps out as someone who, having been adopted, changed her life. Yeah, her story is is one uh, for the book for sure. And, you know, everyone knows that name. Most people wouldn't know the name Ann Robbins, but that's who she was when she was born. She was born to a uh, a couple in Queens, New York, uh, they had marriage troubles from the beginning. They just uh, actually separated before she was even born. And she was sent to live with an aunt in uh, Bethesda, Maryland, where she spent the first six or so years of her life. And she wound up eventually getting reunited with her mom, her birth mom, in Chicago. But this is where the story kind of m- makes an interesting, fateful turn. She wound up uh, reuniting with her mom because her mom remarried, and her mom remarried a a doctor, a guy by the name of Loyal Davis, who was a prominent neurosurgeon a great in the name. Chicago area. It is a good name, isn't it? And uh, she was excited uh, to have a dad again, and she wanted to take his name because, uh, you know, she was still Robbins because her biological father was still living. But she got permission from her biological father, and he relinquished rights, and her adoptive father uh, adopted her. And uh, what is so fascinating, uh, Michael, is that when she moved to California as a, after graduating from high school, you know, she had her new name. She was now Nancy Davis. Nancy was her nickname. But there, and she was trying to pursue a career in acting. Well, there was another Nancy Davis in California who was on the communist sympathizer list, and she couldn't get work because of this, um, this uh, black mark on the name. They said, well, you need to talk to uh, the president of the Screen Actors Guild. And I think all of us know who that was. Mm-hmm. That was Ronald Reagan. And the point I try to make, trying to connect the dots, is that, look, if she had not been adopted, had she not changed her name, she wouldn't have had real excuse, reason, to meet with uh, Governor Re- or Ronald Reagan. And if he, she had not met him, a lot of people, I think, and I think this is – I would agree with this, he wouldn't have become governor, and she wouldn't – and he wouldn't have run for president. I mean, that was the impact she had on him. So, in, you know, in essence, if you loved Ronald Reagan, if you appreciated him as a president, 
you you know a lot of that is attributed to the fact that Nancy Reagan was adopted. I mean, it, it feels like a lot of connections, but it, I think it's it's quite true. Well, it also it also shows how many. I've had friends who were going through difficult times and things weren't ending up the way they had mapped it out in their mind. And I, I've just said life is not as storybook as, as we'd believe, and that's all around us. There are people that that if you'd caught them at any point in their lives, things were not going well, but people stepped in and it worked itself out. Another one you profile is Faith Hill. I thought that was a good story. Yeah, Faith Hill uh, was uh, born Audrey Perry. And uh, she was adopted by a couple and uh, at, at birth, and they had such an impact on her throughout the course of her growing up, like any parent would. Uh, but they really made a point to try and identify her gifts and her talents and really feed those. You know, it, her adoption to that family almost didn't happen either because her, her mom and dad had uh, two biological children and were wanting a larger family, were unable to have one. But her mom uh, convinced her father to pursue adoption. So he, he relented, and they wound up adopting her. And, you know, there's, there are milestones in her life, you know, from where she expressed a, a desire to uh, pursue music at a very young age. She wanted to go an El, to an Elvis Presley concert, and they uh, relented. They weren't so sure about it, but they went with her. And she said, I fell in love with the whole idea of performing that night. Uh, she had a rebellious streak as a kid, and her parents, you know, had very strong discipline, kept her on the rails. And then when she went and pursued a singing career in Nashville, she hit a rough spot like most people do, and she called home wanting to quit. And her mom said, look, have you ever wanted to be anything else? And she said no. And so her mom said, well, I suggest you hang up the phone and get back to work. So, it's you know, it, it's a it's good parenting led to her um, – her being able to become who she was. And, you know, she winds up uh, eventually marrying Tim McGraw, ironically, who was also adopted. And, uh, you know, they have a very, very happy 20-year marriage now. But, it, again, it all stemmed, it really all turned for her, uh, you know, because of her adoptive family. When I was – Paul Batura is our guest. Uh, the book is Chosen for Greatness, How Adoption Changes the World. When I was a kid, uh, the two things I read about were Texas history – and uh, sports biographies, and one of the one of the best was on the babe, and that's probably where I was first introduced to the idea of adoption and, and his childhood, and you know, you could call it imperfect or uh, as unplanned as they get. And here's a guy who turned out, you know, it's a great story. But could you talk about that? Sure. Yeah, the babe is a larger than life figure. I, I'm with you. I loved reading those sport biographies as a kid, and the babe was at the top of the list. He, uh, you know, came from uh, Maryland. His uh, biological parents were um, uh, bartenders, uh, kept a, a saloon, and he was kind of running, apparently, roughshod of the, in the streets, and his parents just kind of threw up their hands and gave up. We know very little about his mother, so she was either incapacitated or uh, at least not present, and his father wound up taking him uh, to St. Mary's Industrial School for Boys, and on the submission form, when he relinquished him, he said um, he was incorrigible and vicious, which is hard to believe. <laughs> you know what? Those monks can solve that problem. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it was those monks, that Catholic order, that really not only taught him the difference between right and wrong, not only gave him uh, you know, an, an, a disciplined life in the sense of you know, they all had jobs and they all had responsibilities. He became a fantastic shirt maker 
And but Brother Matthias and Brother Gilbert taught him how to play baseball, and so they channeled that uh, you know personality into uh, you know a fine ball player, and introduced him to an agent. He got um, you know signed for two hundred fifty dollars, which was a fortune for him. He bought a bicycle with his first paycheck. Um, but the Babes, what I love about the Babes story, Michael, you kind of allude to this, is that he was such an imperfect person, just like you and me. He, but he, you know, he lived his uh, all his imperfections on his sleeve. Mm. You know, he he did everything in excess. But it was really that um, beginning of his life, that uh, that uh, adoption into that school, that gave him you know the tools that he needed. To make it, I mean, he had. We, a, we he can't know what the alternative would have been, and and it wouldn't have been as good. You can be sure of that. I'm, I'm going to cut sure you off, that. Paul. Paul Batura is the author um, of this book, uh, "Chosen for Greatness: How Adoption Changes the World." You've got a minute fifty seconds. I wanted to make sure you got to what you call the ultimate adoption story and could tell that. Well, thank you, and sure, I couldn't think of doing this book without pointing to the Creator, and that is, you know, most people probably don't necessarily think of Jesus as an adopted child, but he was. His father was Joseph, who was visited by an angel and told, you will be the father of this child. He's not biological to you, but I'm uh, declaring you to be his dad. And as an adoptive father, I can kind of relate to that. Uh, Joseph didn't look any differently upon Jesus. He, He accepted him as his son and raised him. We don't know much about Joseph beyond the fact that he said yes, and he was responsive to the angel's call. Um, but what I found to be so fascinating with the parallels with Jesus's story and adoption in general is that, you know, we often see Christmas and, and the Christmas story as this idyllic uh, courier and Ives kind of moment. And it was in, in the sense that Scripture tells us it was a beautiful night and angels sang and shepherds, you know, came to the stable. But the reality was that there was a lot of dysfunction going on. I mean, people wanted that baby to be killed and they had to flee uh, you know, and and uh, escape it. And I thought, isn't that a little bit like adoption, that it is gritty, it is imperfect, there is not going to be the Hallmark Hall of Fame moment. Mm. But in the end, there is God's sovereignty directing the affairs of men. I love it. And your timing is impeccable. You wrap that up perfectly. Paul Batura, the book is Chosen for Greatness, How Adoption Changes the World. Thank you, sir. We'll have Thank you back you, again. There are more books in your future. I somehow sense it. You have an adoption story you want to tell? 713-212-5874. 713-212-5874. You've got the Michael Berry Show. Berry Show. Family, togetherness. The most important thing to me is family. I made sure that I had anything that I ever wanted didn't spoil me, but made sure that I was completely cared for. So, Because every child deserves a loving home. The Michael Berry Show celebrates adoption. Sorry, just took a sip of coffee that didn't go down the right hatch. A couple years ago, my oldest son, Michael, was in class. And we've talked about adoption from Michael came home when he was two, eight years ago. And Crockett came home when he was five, four years ago. So that they are um, they're about 15 months apart uh, in age, but there's a four-year difference in when they came home. 
but we spoke to Michael. I mean, when he was two, we were introducing the concepts. How much he grasped, you don't know. But it's it's never been something that he had to learn, you know, from the neighbor across the street or at school or at a medical office or, or whatever. There are all these different ways people find out they're adopted. And everybody has their own reasoning, and I'm not saying that it, it each situation is different. But he's black and I'm white, and it's pretty obvious and so we needed to address that up front. And so we have, and we've talked about it endlessly because I want it to be something that he's very comfortable with. And a few years ago at school, they were sharing, uh, you had to tell where you were born. The The, the project was um, you had to tell what hospital you were born in. So he, of course, asked and we went through the, the whole answer, and he gave his answer, and it was quite unlike the other kids. And so at the end of the year, the teacher said, um, you know, what made that whole situation so interesting, what made that whole situation so interesting was that the other kids wished that they could have been adopted too because of how proud he was of in, in the telling of his story, and obviously that made me very proud. So last year, in preparation for this, he's in his class, and the teacher, it's a small school, the teachers all know each other, and they knew his story, and so they figured he's probably going to tell it. And so the teacher said, you know, is anyone, we're going to talk about adoption, is anyone is anyone in here adopted? Michael shoots his hand up. <clears throat> and it turns out two other students in the class, after Michael tells his story, announced that they're adopted. The only reason that's important or, or interesting is that the school didn't know. They'd never told. The parents hadn't told. The children hadn't told. It wasn't known. And so when the teachers commented to their parents that they had mentioned this, and I took great pride in that because the teachers said that they felt the reason they had done that is Michael made it cool to be adopted, and so they felt, that you know they wanted to be part of that club too. And I say that because when I was growing up, if we wanted to be mean to another kid, it would not even be mean, it was a joke. And you, you know, you wanted to tell your brother that you know you didn't like him, you were adopted. You're not my real brother. And that was you know that's a very that's a typical thing to say, and it's not in any way meant with any real malice intended. Just the sorts of things that we say. And so I knew that we have to prepare for those situations. And I'm a big believer that if you talk about difficult situations, you you manage to minimize that moment where the situation is going to come up because you've already been through it. All right, enough of me. Vic in Midville, you're on the Michael Berry Show. What's your adoption story? Oh, man, I tell you what, I kind of got a tear listening to yours there. Well. So, but, yeah, we... We found out that my wife couldn't have children, and, uh, of course, you know, that was devastating. And uh, so we became foster parents, and we ended up adopting two little girls that aren't biological. But uh, you wouldn't ever know it. They're my little rodeo girls. They like to run barrels and, and do that kind of thing. And now they're 10 and ten and 12. Of course, that 12-year-old's pushing my buttons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But, yeah, you know, adoption, just like your your guest said earlier, it's it's kind of a biblical thing. It's, you know, we were uh, 
God chose us. You know, you, us, everybody who's a adoptive parents, God chose us to be those parents uh, to those kids. Vic, you, you adopted from CPS? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Through CPS in Texas. What was the situation with the girls, if you want to tell it? Um, one of my, you know, one of my daughters, uh, was taken away. Both of them were taken away from birth. Uh, one was, um, you know, kind of pedophilia, uh, the parents and the other was drug use. Oh, wow. Well, you've changed their lives and they've changed yours and that's how it's supposed to work. Thank you for the call. Todd, you're up. Go ahead. Hi, Michael. Um, I wanted to just tell my story too. I've spoken to you before, and I asked you uh, your your opinion on how I should talk to my son about how he was adopted, and I still have been unable to figure figure it out. But my uh, my wife and I both work in the emergency department, and a woman came in one day who is really messed up on on drugs, and she ended up having to be put on life support basically and uh, ventilator and, and IVs. And when she woke up, she pulled everything out and she wanted to leave the emergency room. My wife to your baby, he's, she's 28 weeks pregnant. Why to your baby? She said, I, I don't want my baby. And my wife said, there are millions of people who would, who would love to have your baby. And when you sober up, find one of them. And this woman came back that night and gave her phone number to my wife and said, uh, um, if you want my baby, then you can have him. <clears throat> and we went on vacation. We didn't think she was due for, for quite a while. She was only 28 weeks pregnant. We came back from vacation, and we had a lot of messages on our phone frantic saying she was in the hospital with the baby because she had a premature uh, birth and uh, <clears throat> so we went up to the hospital and Todd I'm up against a break she had that baby and that baby's healthy now oh he's so good he's that's the way blessing. it's supposed to be all's well that ends well good on you and good on your wife Obviously, if she's a nurse, she cares about people, and those people just, I think they have a bigger heart than the rest of us. Thank you for sharing, buddy. The Michael Berry Show continues. Uh, mainly family. Family is the most important thing. My friends always used to say, I wish I had a dad like your dad. I love that my mom could make it in any situation. It's not a choice, it's a child of God. The Michael Berry Show celebrates adoption. Coming up in a few minutes, we'll talk to a state senator here in Texas who's been in, involved with adoption and the um, foster care system. You know, we always hear some great stories. We're never able to get them all on, but I want to make sure that everybody out there, the Many people have raised their children, sent their kill, their kids off to college, but they're young. I have friends that are – I'm 46 now. I have friends who are grandparents, and they don't have kids at home. And they are able 
you know, they miss having kids at home. It's fun. It's it can be challenging, but my goodness, it's fun. Um, it's it uh, it keeps you on your toes and makes you feel young. And um, there are plenty of opportunities to help with the foster care system. Um, we can't just leave the problems of other people to other people because it's not the child's fault. That's the important thing to remember. From the email bag real quick before we're back to the lines, I'm Jared from Columbus, Ohio, that is. Found your show quite by accident while perusing some conservative talk radio programs about five years ago on my TuneIn radio app. I've been a listener ever since. Our story might be considered ordinary as adoption stories go, but it was certainly miraculous and awe-inspiring to us and those who know it intimately. My wife of five years, Sarai, and I, who have no children, suffered what we would agree was the worst day of our life back in March of 13 when her pregnancy was suddenly halted through miscarriage. During that year, we picked up the pieces of our broken future, not knowing that God was doing the same. Feeling the mothering urge still present, yet wounded from the sense of loss, my wife began to research foster care. We took the required classes, were licensed six months later, approximately 20 children of all ages graced our home in only tw- in only four months, staying from a day or two up to three months. And then we got the phone call. A little girl had been granted permanent custody to the state and would be up for adoption. We had one picture, that's all. Fifty, that's five zero, families had expressed earnest interest in adding her to their home. And while some have waited years, we were shocked and surprised that we had been chosen. Little Ray Lynn came to live with us, little Raylin, sorry, Uh, Came to live with us forever the day before my 37th birthday, but here's where the story gets better. In noting her birth date, Raylan was born exactly three days after the miscarriage. And I can't finish the story, but um, it's a good story, and it ends well. How about that? Uh, Let's see. Ben, you're up. Go ahead, sir. You're on the Michael Berry Show. Hello. Yep, you're up, my man. Go ahead. Hi. Yeah, um... Uh, thank you for having me, and thank you for the adoption show. Um, my wife and I built our family through adoption. Um, we have uh, two children adopted locally through a local agency. Um, Alternatives in Motion is the name of that agency. Um, they were both open adoption, um, which um, made me call because often in all the adoption stories I hear, uh, I don't hear a lot about the other character in the adoption stories. Um, which is the birth mothers. And to me, the birth mothers of my children are my heroes. In a difficult time in their young lives, they made a loving decision to give us to their children. I don't like to say they gave up their children for adoption. I never say they were unwanted. They wanted us for them. Um, And I would just like your listeners to, to know these women are out there. Um, there, if you think of the people, you know, that are adopted or have adopted children, you can probably run a pretty good list in your head, mm-hmm. but think of how many people, you know, that have placed their children for adoption. These women are out there They're you know, you probably see them every day, but they keep their secret and it's their stories to tell, not mine. But I just want, you know, their, their love and their compassion for the decision they made to be known. I agree. Well said, sir. I'm glad that perspective made it on the air. Um, It's much easier to go down to the local clinic and have an abortion than to carry a child to term. And uh, 
and what a better world we are because they do. Well said. Jim, you're up. Go ahead. Michael. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Call, calling from League City was my little adoption story, and it pales, I think, compared to the ones you've had on. Uh, my wife and I both have grown kids that by the time we'd been married five years, they were well on their way with marriage of their own and kids coming along of their own. We decided to adopt inside our family from up in Indiana because of two little kids that were having a terrible initial life. A little two-year-old girl needed a heart operation, her second heart operation, and the little boy was doing okay, but turned out kind of wild. The, the parents were itinerant, being kicked out of house after house, and family was saying, we've got to do something. What can we do? And my wife and I agreed to take them in as foster care for the first year. After two years of fostering, it was obvious the parents were not going to do anything better, and we decided to adopt, and we did adopt from inside the family so that there's no state-sponsored help of any kind anywhere. We took them on because we knew they needed help. The little girl had her second heart operation down at Texas Children's, a place that we loved dearly. The little boy turned out to be nice and neat in sports and things like that. As he went through high school, became interested in becoming a youth minister and is now serving as a youth minister apprentice up in Tulsa. The little girl graduated from high school. We told ourselves that they were adopted 20 years ago. We told ourselves that we would be in our 70s when they graduated from high school. That's exactly right. The little girl, after a healthy operation recovery, she graduated from high school a year ago, a year and a half ago, got married last January, and has a healthy marriage now and is well on her way to being a happy young lady as a wife and hopefully a few years before she becomes a mother. I love it. That's a great story. And these stories, you know, we after we adopted eight years ago, friends of ours would ask questions and listeners would ask questions. And I can't possibly respond to every person with in depth with all the questions they have. But when I can, one of the things I find is that, that people have this idea that there is the perfect nuclear family and this is how things are supposed to work. And and they they build doubts in as to, well, you know, am I going to be too old? I'm 55. Am I too old? Well, no, you're not. And I'll tell you this, you'd, you'd be surprised. Uh, my wife, my wife always says, you want to know how important uh, parenting is? You want to know how important children are? She said, when I came to this country, I found the toughest, meanest, strongest men in the whole wide world are Southern men. You want to reduce them to tears drop of a hat, you start talking about their mama, their daddy, or their child. And it's true. That's 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 what really matters in the grand scheme of things. Coming up, we will talk to a state senator in Texas who has been working with the Gladney Center Adoption and the Foster Care Center. Stay tuned. Lock and load. The Michael Berry Show is on the air.
It's our annual adoption special. We look forward to it every year. Um, Adopting two children changed my life. And what's interesting is that I learned, I mean, I love reading my emails on days like today. I get emails from friends of mine who've listened to the show every, every day and have listened to this adoption special and never told me that they're adopted. And it's everywhere. There's so many people. There's so many. And, and these are, these are wonderful people. And I think to myself, how would their life had ch- have changed if they had not been? Um, yeah. And I love getting, I love getting the update months and years later from you, our listeners who say, you know, we'd been thinking about being foster parents and we just kind of kept putting it off. And we decided we sat down that night after the show and said, we're going to do this. That makes me very happy. Very happy. State Senator Connie Burton is herself an adopted adoptive parent, and she's been involved with the issue, and we're glad to have her as our guest. Senator? Hey, how are you? I'm fantastic. <laughs> You've been involved with the uh, Edna Gladney Foundation. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so our two daughters... Um, are adopted from Gladney. We call them, all of us who have adopted through them, they're our Gladney babies. <laughs> right. And, of course, they're not babies anymore. They're 20 and 25. Um, so, yes. You know, um, Senator, when I, was, when I was growing up, I'm 46, so in the 70s, you would hear stories about, you know, a girl in a small town in, in southeast Texas that would get pregnant, mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. would go live with uh, uh, Aunt Edna or Aunt Edna, mm-hmm. however you wanted to say it. And that, right. that was how people knew, okay, she went off to have her baby and then she'd come back and often finish high school and go on with her life. I don't hear those stories anymore. Is it because I grew up and moved away or, or has, yeah. the, has the foundation changed? Yeah. Um, you mean, are, are you asking specifically if the the Gladney Center has changed much? Um, right. Was that your last Right. Time? I yeah. mean, that, that was yeah. sort of well, what was known yeah. as... Right. Right. It was it was particularly a home for unwed uh, mothers. Right. Is kind of how it was um, how it was described early on. It still is. They still they do have a campus. They have moved many years ago. I mean, I don't know, 10, I'm going to say I could be off there, but um, they're still in Fort Worth, obviously. But um, and, and, and part of their move was because. You know, they didn't need um, as much of the residential facility as, you know, as they once did, right? But they still do have where um, birth moms can come to the campus and stay there. Uh, but it isn't, you're right, it isn't as much of how they work today. Uh, many of the girls stay in their home communities. Um, if they do come to Fort Worth, sometimes they even stay with uh you know, uh, other adoptive parents, you know, they stay in the home of adoptive parents. Not, not, I'm not necessarily saying the ones that, that, that are going to adopt the child. I'm just saying, uh, you know, people that work with the Gladney Center, right, have opened their home. So there's different ways of doing it today than um, it, want, it once was. And is that because there's less shame today? Is that because it's considered uh, less uh, disruptive to move a young lady out of her community? Why, why that change? Yeah, both, both. I think, you know, I think there was particularly 
um, at one time much shame in it. Um, and so it's exactly the story that you just said, is, at least is what I have always heard as well. You know, um, once upon a time, I mean, you just did not say this kind of thing. Um, and so, yes, they would go off to, to stay with a family member for a while, and then they would come back. And nobody, you know, some people perhaps knew, but not everybody. Um, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Privacy is a big deal, right? Um, you know, um, it, it's. I think it's somewhat unfortunate today that everybody has to know everything about everybody all the time, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you know, everybody has a right to their own privacy and to deal with situations in their own way. And frankly, um, you know, I can understand just wanting to go away, deal with it you know, without all the pressure and the talking and the gossip and that kind of a thing, and then come back to your life again. So, uh, but yes, I think there is less shame um, there. You know, it's all of the things that you mentioned. State Senator Connie Burton, what can we do? What can the state do as a governing body and what can families do across the state to provide? I know we have a shortage of foster parents and that right. gets too little attention Take a couple of minutes, if you would, and speak to that. Right. So, fortunately, Lieutenant Governor uh, Dan Patrick has made it, you know, uh, it, he's pushing this initiative where particularly those of us who have adopted um, are making videos. He's obviously doing more than that as well, but we're all kind of participating in this, trying to get the message out about the need for foster families. We have almost 30,000 um, children in our foster care system, and we need stable, loving families for this trans for these children as they transition to their forever uh, families. So, um, you know, that is first and foremost. We have that need, and I would hope, and we're reaching out to uh, faith-based communities, particularly because that has who is who has always been there for the adoption community, for uh, uh, young ladies who have found themselves pregnant. Um, you know, that's who is most beneficial um, in these situations. So so anyway, we're, we're pushing that. We're wanting the, the faith-based communities to also get this message out to their congregations um, uh, and let them know, listen, you know, the state has a need. Please go to this website, check it out, give them a call, you know, see if you are somebody that would like to um, be there for the state. So there's that. Um, obviously, there's lots of things we can do, you know, to make it um, less cumbersome for the adoption process. Um, you know, I haven't really, I haven't uh, dove, dived down <laughs> into. My know, great grandmother said div. <laughs> she did. All of a sudden, I wasn't sure of the tense <laughs> of that word. <laughs> anyway, you know, uh, I, I do know that there are some things that, you know, we can look into as far as, um, you know, the, the regulations and things like that. We obviously need it to be a very safe, um, it, it, you know, for all parties involved. Um, but, you know, there's all sorts of things we can do legislatively um, that we can look into to make it an easier process for all involved as well. Well, as as we prepare for another legislative session, I hope you will take the lead on that and continue to work toward it. We appreciate your Absolutely. time. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. State Thanks Senator so much. Connie Burton, thank you. All right, back to your call, 713-212-5874, 713-212-5874. I typically, after we do the adoption special, am overwhelmed with the number of emails asking for advice and answers and resources, 
and I can't possibly get to all of them, but I will tell you there are plenty of resources. If you're in Texas, Depelchin is a great one, D-E-P-E-L-C-H-I-N. I'm very supportive of that organization. I've I've seen what they've done. There are a number of Catholic organizations, Catholic charities um, that will that will lead you in the right direction. They're very, very the Catholics of Christian uh, uh, subdenominations. They or denominations. I think they lead. Uh, they lead in that area. There are Baptist organizations. I will. There's there's somebody out there to help you with it. Trust me. My father. And he would help me with my homework. And to that end, I, in fact, became a high school teacher. I just remember his work ethic and, and what he did to get me to where I, I am at now. Any man can make a baby, but it takes a real man to raise a child. Today, we celebrate adoption on The Michael Berry Show. We're having a little trouble with our call screening system. I think they had to reset the uh, the whole system, reboot, reset, whatever. So while that's coming back up, if you were a caller, our apologies. I think it dropped some of the calls, but um, they're working to get it back up. While we do that, Owen, I'm sorry, Peg writes. Where did I get Owen? Peg writes, Michael, eight years ago on Thanksgiving Eve, you asked listeners to call and tell you what they were thankful for. You took my call, and I told eight years ago. Well, I told you I was thankful for the sister I had learned about a few months earlier. To recap, I was an only child who was who always wanted siblings desperately. My mom had died five years earlier. In June of '08, I received a letter from the sister I never knew I had. When mom was 22, she got pregnant. She wasn't married. She ch- I remember this call. Wow, hard to believe that's been eight years. She chose to place the baby for adoption as soon as it was born. Twelve years and a million miles later, I was born. My mom and I were best friends close, but she never breathed a word about this sister. Being contacted by my sister was the greatest gift ever. Eight years ago, I told you how wonderful it was. To update you, it's a thousand times better now. Nita, my sister's large family, has grown by 11 more people. This includes a little redheaded niece and nephew, kids I'd always wanted but could never have. At the other end of this spectrum is Nita's 103-and-a-half-year-old mother-in-law. All this because my mom chose adoption. Several years ago, Nita wrote a book about adoption and what her feelings about it are. I'd like to send you one. It's just a small paperback, an easy read that I think you would enjoy. Also, all proceeds of the book have gone to Zoe's Place, a Christian feeding, care, and teaching facility for orphans in Malawi, Africa. The facility was established by one of Nita's grandsons. This may be a slightly different adoption story from most that you will hear. This one choice of adoption has reached around the world and touched so many lives. I'm only sorry my mom never knew the wonders her choice created. Wow. What a story. Please send the book, Peg. All right. To the phone lines we go. Uh, Lynn, glad to have you on. You're on the Michael Berry Show, our adoption special. Go ahead, dear. Uh, yes, hi, Michael. I am calling in because I have firsthand experience with the foster system. I happen to be a caseworker with Children's Protective Services. I'm sure there aren't very many of us who are conservative and listening to conservative radio, but I am. And um, I just wanted to speak and reiterate 
what the senator was saying about the shortage of foster homes. We have kiddos who are in the system waiting months to be placed um, in appropriate homes. In addition to the fact that we have a shortage of homes, we have a shortage of good homes. And the reason that I'm calling is because I think it's a unique opportunity for someone who does have firsthand knowledge to speak to this and to perhaps reach people who aren't really even aware um, as to how to get involved um, in fostering children. Um, some of our children do become available for adoption. Some do not. But all of them need good and stable and loving homes. And there are lots of people out there who could provide that, who just maybe really don't know how to go right. about. Lynn, how uh, does somebody get started? Who, who's the first person they called to say, hey, do we qualify? Would we be a good home? So what they would do is um, they can look up and find out uh, on the Internet different fostering agencies. They could also call Children's Protective Services, although um, in truth we're not really um, allowed to give out specific names of different fostering agencies. But what we do is we partner with these different private agencies, and they have contracts with us, and, and so they know the standards that we have that are required for the children. Um, and Depelchin is one of those. Depelchin is one of those. Um, Arrow is one of those. Um, Pathways. There are many, oh, yeah. many of them out I've there. I've heard of Pathways as well, yeah. Yeah, Okay, yeah. so then you go through. I know they have a training course. They come to your house. They ask you questions. They make right. sure that you don't have a sex offender in the home, and they make right. sure that you can, you know, you're going to provide a meal and, and those sorts of things. And then... Once you're in the system, you get a phone call and says, hey, we have a child that needs a home tonight. Yes, absolutely. That's the way it works. There's some financial assistance for people that, that for which this would be a burden, isn't there? Yes, there is. Uh, if you become a licensed foster parent, they're um, based on the child's needs and based on what we call their level of care, um, there's a, a kind of a daily rate that is paid for uh accepting these children into your home. How much and, is that? I'm sorry? How much is that? Oh, Lord, you're going to ask me. Um, I think it's about $25 a day for what's called a basic child. Okay. Um, but that can go up to, uh, if you have a specialized or intensive child, say a child who has maybe a, a feeding tube or, mm. um, you know, some significant issues, yeah. it, it, it goes up to... It can be in the hundreds, two hundred. But it's more than enough to cover the basic food and clothing needs. It is, and and let me just tell you too that for me, this is not. I'm an older caseworker. I raised my kids, stayed at home with them, and so this is a ministry, really, for me to sure. try to help find these kids permanent homes. Good for and you. So, well, thank you. Thank you. It's a um, it's a blessing to get to do what I feel called to do. Um, but I think that foster parents um, also are rewarded in many, many ways, especially when they feel called to do this as opposed to seeing it as uh, a way to make money. Oh, sure. No, no, no. I, I, I would never suggest. I know that there are. I've heard tell that there are people who 
get into that for all the wrong reasons. Um, You're absolutely and, right. Yeah. But uh, it is also good to know every year I have I have folks who will email and say, hey, you know, we don't have a lot of money. That's okay. That's fine. What about yes. a single mother? Can a single mother uh, uh, foster? Absolutely. Is yes. there an and age? What about old people? Oh, okay. So old people as in 80 or old people as in 70? Well, the I older guess. I get, the older <laughs> old people's floor becomes. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know how old is too old. Yeah, right. 50 doesn't sound old anymore. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, so what we would really be looking at is um, their ability to physically manage a child. So say you have somebody who's 75 years old and spry and mm. able to get around and able to, to pick up a one or a two-year-old or chase them around the house, then that's perfectly fine. So it would be really based um, on individual circumstances. Okay. But uh, old people are the most um, mellowed and well-rounded people. So, you know, in a lot of they cases... They also often have time. And often have time. And so in a lot of cases, you know, these kids have been neglected, and that's exactly what they need is the time and the love and the patience because they're coming in with issues. I mean, mm. there's there's no doubt about it. Mm. Um, but there are a lot of people out there who have really loving hearts and... Um, and I just want to encourage anybody who might be listening and thinking, you know, this is something I could do. My kids are grown. I have mm. time on my hands. Good for you. Um, Lynn, yeah. I got to go to break, but I thank God for people like you. There really are. We, uh, we don't, you're going to be our, um, you're going to be our top, Papa top this Friday. There really are people, nurses, teachers, caseworkers. There are so many good people out there in, in our society. We should not forget that. The Michael Berry Show. The Michael Berry Show. Michael Berry Show. Hilarious. Family and just all of the family together. Thankful for my awesome parents. He always told me to uh, never give up, just to keep going. And who is it really there for you? Blood is thicker than water, but love is thicker than blood. Today, we celebrate adoption on The Michael Berry Show. To the phone lines we go. Paul, you're up. Go ahead, my man. <clears throat> Hello. Good morning, Michael. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Hey, uh, I just wanted to give, give you a little insight on the adoption there. I'm 58 years old, and uh, I just recently went to meet my biological mother for the first time this last uh, Labor Day weekend. And uh, that was uh, quite an experience. Did uh, she reach out to you, or did you reach out to her? Well, I, re I kind of reached out to her. Um, my parents that adopted me died back in the 90s. My mom died in 95. My dad died a couple years later. When my when my mom was in the hospital, she she told me that, you know, she said, you, you should go find your, your biological mom, you know, and... Uh, it went, went after she was dead, but uh, I, I didn't want to do that. You know, my dad passed away. You know, a couple of years later, we had to go through that, and it took me a while. But then uh, I have a uh, the lady that I call her a foster mom. Uh, the lady that actually did the adoptions back in the fifties. I was born in fifty eight. This lady was a aunt in the family uh, 
that I was adopted into. And uh, so she was still around. I knew who she was. I'm close to her. And uh, she adopted two kids of her own, and she adopted another kid to a different uncle. So there was about four of us adopted through her um, agency that she was with back in the 50s. And um, the uh, uh, the lady was, was starting to get in bad health and, and that kind of stuff. So I decided I better, if I'm going to you know ask any questions, I better do it now. So I, I called her up. This is several, many years ago. And um, I asked her. I said, uh, you know, do you know who my biological mom is or where she's at? He said, she said, oh, you want to meet her? And I said, yeah. I said, I wouldn't mind. And she said, well, she just lives right down the street. And I'm like, you're kidding me. And she said, no, no, they see her out mowing the lawn all the time and da-da-da-da-da and all that stuff. And I'm like, well, she goes, let me call her and see if she wants to. So she called me right back. She said she'd love to hear from you. So. She hooked us up, and we did talk on the phone a couple of times and kind of made me feel a little bad at first because uh, she would cry and say that, you know, she wished she'd have never gave me up for adoption and, and said she wished she would have toughed it out back then. And, uh, you know, back in the 50s, it was like you were talking earlier, it was a shameful thing for a woman to be pregnant and uh, and not be married, and uh, they would uh, – ship these girls off into somewhere else for a little while till they had the kid and then they would come back and that's exactly what they did with her and uh so anyway the uh uh you know we talked a couple times on the phone and then i didn't talk to her for quite a while because i just didn't want to bring up bad memories of uh, you know for her uh you know because she would seem to cry every time and then after a while um uh, i became facebook friends with one of my biological sisters and um, through, through that conversation and everything, she started uh, being a Facebook friend with me for a long time. And then after uh, a while, I just decided, hey, you know, I need to go meet her before she gets too old and she passes away. And um, so I, you know, messaged my sister and said, hey, would y'all like to get together and meet on a weekend? I didn't have anything going on on, on that Labor Day weekend. It was a long weekend, and they live up in Oklahoma. So uh, she said, sure, we'd love to. So we just went up there and we all got together and met and it was a, actually a really really good time. It was it was something to uh, uh, to see and to be there and and uh, found out that I have you know two brothers, two sisters. Uh, I got to meet the two brothers. Got to meet one of the sisters. The other sister lives in Louisiana and and uh, we're gonna go back up there for Thanksgiving this year and um, you know. This will next week, and I'll get to meet the other sister. She'll be there. I love it. Thank you for sharing, my man. Shirley, go ahead. You're on the Michael Berry Show. How are you today, Michael? I'm good, Shirley. Go ahead. Well, I want, I've talked to you before, uh, but I just wanted to – the story that I just heard is similar to mine. Um, I got pregnant at 19. I My parents uh, made me give up the baby for adoption. I didn't know anything about what sex or anything else. Uh, I got married uh, a year or two later, and we adopted uh, a baby boy and because he couldn't have children. And uh, 56 years later, um, my daughter found me. Um, I had no idea uh, what sex I had, 
Um, uh, she found me through um, my school in Oklahoma. And uh, we are a complete family. She she looks enough like me to be, in fact, people say we're sisters. We're twin sisters. Um, I just want everybody to know that people lie to you about things. And um, it was up to God for her to find me 56 years ago. Um, and it, it's just, it's it's beautiful. I, the, please tell the people that, um, like my adopted son, he never did want to find his um, biological parents. I knew a little bit about them, but he, to this day, he still does not want to know anything about them. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. People have... Some people do, and some people don't. I guess we're just uh, we're all a little different. Well, what, what can you what can you say, Bonnie? You're on the Michael Berry Show. Go ahead, dear. Hi, Michael. Um, my story starts with my son, who is my biological son, who is gay, has been with his partner for almost 15 years, and about three, well, December the 11th. My grandson will be four, and they went through an adoption agency called Lifelong Adoptions. And in Texas, it's kind of hard for gay people to adopt babies, but they filled out their application in October of 2012, and... Bonnie, I'm sorry. Hold on. My clock management is worse than less miles. I didn't see we're up against a break. Hold on, dear. Extremely entertaining. The Michael Berry Show. The Michael Berry Show. So I love them. Family, togetherness. The most important thing to me is family. Made sure that I had anything that I ever wanted didn't spoil me, but made sure that I was completely cared for. So, Because every child deserves a loving home. The Michael Berry Show celebrates adoption. From the mailbag, Kent writes, I love listening to both of your shows daily. They make the hour drive go easier almost all the time. My daughter-in-law was told that she couldn't have any more babies after two premature boys barely made it successfully. And by the way, they're now nine and six and doing well. They really wanted to have a baby girl, so they got involved with an adoption agency out of Austin. For one year, they heard nothing. Then they got involved with Loving Houston Adoption Agency that also aids the homeless with food, clothing, and counseling. And from this, they became certified as foster parents. They immediately, within a week, received a call asking them to foster two young sisters, age two and three, and their family size quickly doubled. These two babies were living on the streets of Houston with their 18- and 19-year-old mothers, not even knowing how to properly eat food off of a plate. And all of a sudden, they were surrounded by a loving family of brothers, cousins, aunts, uncles, and grandparents. After over a year, they finally became a legal part of our family as they were adopted into my son's family. And three years later, along with a younger sister that just turned two years old and is in the process of being adopted, they're constantly blessing our family with smiles, laughs, cries, and screams. 
as you stated on Tuesday morning, the Lord moves in mysterious and beautiful ways that we may not always understand. As our family found when our kids went a complete year without being contacted for an adoption. In his timing, they were called a year, a year later to move these little girls and our family, and it has been enriching as an experience. Praise God for his adoption of mankind and for these three little ones that are a precious part of my family. Make a difference, Kent. I love it. And I appreciate that people are willing to share your stories. Miles, go ahead. How's it going, Mr. Barry? It's Good. A pleasure to be on here this morning. Thank you. Uh, I'm just talking today about my two friends, uh, Paul and Chad, who are both adopted, both in early 30s, late 20s, and they're both impressively talented at what they do. And I don't think it's a coincidence. I just feel like when someone is adopted and they get that love that, you know, that we all take for granted, that, uh, you know, it can really unlock something in a person that can take their life to a next level. And, uh, for example, my buddy Paul, he is the best golden tee player in the world. Have you ever heard of that game, the mm-hmm. golf game that you see at bars? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but if you literally, yes. if you go to any bar in the world, you look at where it shows the list of the players, you'll see Luna pop up. He's number one or number two, always does it for a living, makes a good living. And, yeah, he just pursued what he wanted to do. And I was going to say it was, it. A, it was the, the, the benefit of a misspent youth, but if he's getting paid for it, even better. Yeah, exactly. And my other friend Chad is a Braylor graduate, and he's actually on the verge of becoming a sports agent. He's been grinding it out here in Houston for four years. He's really done something special in the basketball community here in Houston where he's gotten so many kids' scholarships and just unlocking doors for people who – never knew what was possible for him. And, you know, I just really want to give a shout-out to those two guys because they're some of my best friends and, you know, and they're awesome and they have great families that helped helped them along their path. Yeah, you know, that's when we talk about who we are as a people and people are very proud to tell that they're a Republican or a Democrat or that they're in this they went to this university or they did that or they did this and they that's how we identify ourselves right these these different <clears throat> badges that we wear nothing wrong with that it's the those part of our identity you can see it by the markings on the back of a vehicle for people that put a sticker i'm a marine i'm a aggie i'm fill in the blank a parent you know people will tell that they're a parent of a child who's in on the honor roll or that they're a parent of a child who beat up an honor roll kid. <laughs> what I, when I was, but I, I think we have to ask ourselves as individuals who we are as a people. You know, what what do we want to be as a people? Because um, it may it, it takes a village was a political gimmick, um, but it truly to be a successful society, it takes lots of individuals making good decisions with a shared notion of who we want to be as a people, whether we want to define ourselves by religion or race or nationality or origin or it doesn't matter, who you're going to be as a people, um, I think you can learn as much about a people by the, the process by which they deal with the imperfections in their society as anything you'll learn about them. How do they deal with the things that fall through the cracks? 
How do they deal with error? How do they deal with mistakes? How do they deal with things that are unplanned? How do they deal with tragedy? How do they deal with with those sorts of things? A friend of mine just buried his uh, wife. She was only 39 years old, and I, I, I can't process. I'm, I'm incapable of understanding this. And they have a 15-year-old and an 8-year-old. What what do you do? Well, there's a group called Bo's Place. It's one of many charities out there. And they try to help in situations like this with counseling class. What do you do? We're not built for this. We we have youth sports. We have uh, leagues. We have after-school extracurricular activities. But we're not built for mommy dying at 39 years old and leaving two two children for dad to try to make sense of all this. And I think that who we are as a people is as much as anything defined by uh, how much do we take out of our busy, quote-unquote, normal lives to take care of things like that. Bonnie, I forgot you. I'm sorry. I'm terrible about that. Bonnie, I have two minutes left in this segment. You can have them all. Go ahead, dear. I apologize. Thanks for waiting. (laughs) I, I I forget to go back to people, and if they don't beat me over the head, I forget. Go ahead. You got it. That's okay. I just wanted to say that God blessed us with a beautiful, uh, now he will be four in December, uh, my grandson, whom my son is gay, and it's very difficult in Texas for gay people to adopt children. And when he came, he had to go to Utah, basically, to adopt my grandson. And when he came down that escalator with that little boy, you can you can tell that that little boy belongs in this family. And it was almost as if God had picked him specifically or picked us specifically for him. And I just wanted to say, especially to people who think, and it takes a while for gay people to adopt uh, in Texas, they were approved in October and we had him in February of the next year. So it is possible. And for all those that are wanting to and think it's too hard or it's too much or it's too this or too that, don't. Your life will be blessed. So much. Well, I will tell you. Thank you. I will tell you that when we adopted Michael, it took from when we first saw him, it took three months before we could go back and bring him home. With Crockett, it took a full year, which was unbearable because there was more than a year before that. So, uh, you know, some people have much better experiences than we did, but uh, perseverance, patience, uh, consistency, determination are uh, unfortunately requisites uh, to be a foster parent and an adoptive parent. But it's worth it. It's that time. Lock and load. The Michael Berry Show is on the air. People just fascinate me. I Some people have hobbies of restoring old cars or hunting or fishing or whatever your thing is. But to me, people, uh, taking people apart and putting them back together is uh, 
is one of my great passions because people are always so much more complicated and interesting than they appear when they're standing in front of you at, in line at the grocery store or sitting behind a desk in their office. And the ingredients that go in to baking who we are as people are often unseen. You know, you taste a cake sometime and you can't quite figure out what that element is. There's some flavor and it ends up being some form of cinnamon or nutmeg or whatever, but you can't quite figure out what it is. And I find that uh, people are that way and their relation to adoption can sometimes be that one ingredient that you would not have guessed. And they were adopted. They're an adoptive parent, uh, any number of different reasons. And it comes out at this time every year when, when people will, will send an email. I don't read them on air because I don't know that they'd want me to, but I'm always surprised how many prominent people in uh, in our community. Uh, I don't know that it's known that they're adopted and their names that if I read off my emails right now, I could rattle off 10 of them that you would say, I had no idea. And they may not want anybody to know. They may have just said, hey, just while you're on the subject, I'm listening today and I'm really identifying. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, uh, I think that's a good thing. It, it makes it extra interesting. Brendan, I'm glad you got back in. I got a note that you are 12 years old and you were adopted a couple of weeks ago. Yes, sir. Our our system went down. It crashed after they got you online, so it knocked all the phone calls off, and they had to they had to restart. Do you know how to fix things like that? No. Okay. Do you have any special skills or assets or anything that could help the show? No, I probably do not. You do not. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are you, What are you doing? Um, right now I'm doing some schoolwork. I'm homeschooled, by the way, so okay. I get to stay home and do that stuff. So, so I got a note you were, uh, you were adopted a couple weeks ago. Tell me about that. Yep. So I was adopted on November 1st, and, um, we didn't go to the team the night before because we wanted to get up early and go to Hey, hey Brendan? Yep. Or, did you jump out of a plane and then call me? No. I, I'm it's I'm getting a lot of rustling in the back, like you might be fending off a, a burglar or something. Okay. Okay, there we go. Yeah, that's it. All right, go ahead. Okay, so the reason why I was adopted was because when all my brothers and sisters were born, um, our biological mom did drugs, and so when we were born, we weren't really healthy, and so... Um, by the time someone had actually noticed something, I had, um, my mom was knocked out on a highway and then I had crawled across a major freeway to get to my brother who was at school. We were just going to go pick him up. And then that's when, um, CPS was notified. And then, um, I went to my grand or CPS took me to our grandma, and then we went to the building, the CPS building, and then we drove all the way back to Richmond over here, where my mom was or where my 
mom's cousin was, and we've been staying here ever since, about nine years. Brendan, um, so who, who adopted you? I, I'm sorry, you were you were cutting in and out. Who who adopted you? Um, my mom's cousin, Carrie Galvin. I'm I'm sorry, Brendan. I'm I was having I was having trouble um, with with the audio feed. Um, well, what do you make of all this? Well, I think that well, if my mom didn't do the things that she did, and they were really wrong, but people shouldn't really be doing that and aban- and having to abandon their kids like that because moving around it can be quite scary. And I know for the first couple of weeks it was for me, but like when you go to school and you see all those kids with their biological moms and dads, it kind of makes adopted kids or foster kids feel really bad that they don't have that anymore. Well, probably true, but you know what's funny, Brendan, I'll I tell you. You're 12, and it's hard to understand this at 12, but it's it happens to be true. The things that bother you so much when you're 12, the things that are so important at that age, the things that feel like they're so unfair, and and you know somebody has something you don't have, no matter how big that is. Uh, in a few years, none of that is even going to matter. It's all going to fade away. It just seems really, really important at that age. But you know what? You are a loved little boy and a lucky little boy. And I hope, and you probably can't appreciate that at this age, but I'll bet you when you're old, like I am, you'll look back and you'll think, gosh, how loved I was. And you will appreciate, um, you will appreciate, you know, it's it's ironic, Brendan, that in sometimes in order for us to feel, and sometimes in order for us to understand um, how loved we are, there has to be something bad happen to us. And sometimes for us to be the beneficiary, sometimes for us to to get to get the good things that are to come in our lives, bad things had to happen. Um it's sort of like when I had my tonsils, uh, when I had, uh, not my tonsils, I had uh, uh, tubes put in my ear. And the kid next to me was having his tonsils taken out. And his parents didn't let him eat ice cream. But he got to eat ice cream after they had the surgery because the ice cream, he couldn't eat solid foods, and apparently the ice cream would make it feel better. And so we were in a shared room in the hospital, and he said, getting my tonsils taken out, which is very painful, by the way, uh, was worth it because I got to eat ice cream after I was finished. And so, you know what? Your life is going to be a whole lot of ice cream, and you've been through getting your tonsils taken out. You are a loved little boy, and you got a really good life ahead of you.
Thanks for calling, Brendan. Oh, of course it's Michael Berry. It's the Mike Berry Show. It's Michael Berry Show. My father. And he would help me with my homework. And to that end, I, in fact, became a high school teacher. I just remember his work ethic and, and what he did to get me to where I, I am at now. Any man can make a baby, but it takes a real man to raise a child. Today, we celebrate adoption on The Michael Berry Show. Some of you may know Radney Foster and Kyle Hutton. They, um, they are working together on a project to benefit our foster care system. We'll talk to Kyle Hutton at uh, 1045 about that project and their work and why they've been involved with it. 713-212-5874. Leela, you're up. Go ahead, dear. Hey there. I wanted to tell you about my situation. I have a foster daughter who will be living with us permanently, but we are not actually going to be allowed to adopt her. So when we first got her, I had no idea that this was an option. And I really wish that I would have known. I wish that I could have heard about it before. Um, There are some cases where a judge will feel like it's not safe for a child to go home, but they also feel like they can't strip parental rights. So we will have, uh, they call it PMC, stands for Permanent Managing Conservatorship. Uh And it's essentially like divorced parents who don't get along, where one parent has custody and can make all the decisions, but the other parent still has visitation rights, can get medical records, can get school records, things like that. So my husband and I will be the parent with custody. My foster daughter's mother will be the parent who still has some rights, but doesn't get to make decisions at all. Right. So it's not an ideal situation because her mother can come back at any point and fight to get her. So it's not actually permanent. Right. Um, And, you know, we'll always have that influence in her life. And it's it's not the best influence, obviously, or she wouldn't have been taken away. No. And and I know that's frustrating, Leela. And God bless you that you're doing it. And you know what? I'm going to temper my comments because your frustration is due to the fact that you don't care about the system. You care about that child. And that is the level of love somebody should have in order to take in a child and want to raise them as your own. That's, man, thank. We know, we know that almost every species. Uh, has some sort of maternal, not often paternal, but has some sort of maternal instinctive uh, desire, wish, um, emotion regarding their child, at least until that child, until that offspring, not child, until that offspring is at a point where they can fend for themselves or, you know, they're, they're not outside of, of humans. You don't see that many species where they continue a lifelong relationship with their offspring. But we know that. We, we know that scientifically there is, for the uh, survival of the species, there is this natural urging that a biological mother has, Right. 
But what we don't know, uh, because we stand upright and we have souls and we are higher thinkers, what we don't know is what creates the bond that makes someone uh, love a child that is not of their own loin and that deep, passionate love that becomes the foster or the adoptive parent. And I don't know why it is, but thank God for it, or our world would be um, a very different place and not for the good. That being said, um, you know, it's it's a complicated—I don't want to defend the system, but just imagine this. Imagine that out of a thousand babies that are born, you're going to have some that are going to have the mother and the father, and some where— the dad's a handful where the dad died or went to prison or whatever else, and you're going to have 60 where the mom is unfit to be a mother. and But not in all those cases is the mom going to want to be out of the child's life. But when you're crafting a system, you're crafting a system that has to somehow accommodate all of these situations, and you have to craft a system where somebody who's going through a bad time but comes out of it doesn't have their baby ripped away because that too would be wrong and that would be wrong for the baby um but we know that in protecting because we have a legitimate and rightful desire to protect a biological parent and their rights even to go through a difficult time and not provide for the child we do try. I mean, the system is built around trying to make sure to give that person another chance. And the reason is because we as a people, um, I, I think the idea of ever taking babies from parents is such an awful thing uh, in kind of a brave heart sort of way. I mean, just it's it's so wrong on so many levels that we err too far the extreme to the opposite side, trying not to do that. And I hear this story often. I hear this story every year, and I hear it throughout the year, From, and I have anecdotal cases of, of people I know where they're a foster parent, and the mom is is awful. She's laid up with some different guy every night. She's turning tricks. She's incapable of taking care of herself, much less a baby, 24-7, and all they want is for her to relinquish the rights, and she's wailing and saying, no, no, I'm a mama. These are difficult situations, and I don't think that they're ever not going to be difficult. And I, I, I just say, look, remember that somebody has to put on a robe and go into a courthouse and look at every one of these different cases because it's not the case that every biological parent that's going through a bad time is is going to be the worst parent throughout the course of life, and there are people that go through difficult situations. But the takeaway for me is, thank God there are people like you out there that care for this child. And I'll bet you 20 years from now we're going to look back and say it all worked out well, and you will have been the primary, if not the sole, influence in this child's life. Mike, you're up. Uh, Good morning, Michael. I have something. I hope it's a little bit lighter than what we just heard. we had our daughter come into our house at three days old uh, as foster parents. And we really, because we were a little bit older at that time, did not really uh, intended to adopt her. But actually, after two and a half years in our home, 
because of the situation that you just described, the mother's trying to do some things, taking parenting class, et cetera, et cetera, and then drop out of parenting classes. And, you know, the judge would go back to court several times. So after she was in our home for almost two and a half years, we finally had standing with the court. Uh, because as foster parents, you really don't have standing in the court. So what we did was we hired the most ice water for blood attorney we could find. And how we found her was she was the opposing attorney in my son's custody battle a couple years before. And this lady was very professional, did an excellent job. And once we hired her, we went into court very quickly. And Luckily, the day came when we went to court and adopted her, adopted our daughter. And and one of the things that was so funny is we go and we go before the judge and we have a series of questions. And the attorney says to my wife, now, you know, ma'am, that this child will have all the rights and privileges of your other children. And she's going like... Yes, I know that. And just, you know, bawling and crying and all this stuff. Now she goes through this series of questions. Again, they before the judge, you know, needs to hear these things. She is just bawling her eyes out from happiness. Well, we look over and this attorney who's got ice water for blood is tearing up. And about that time the uh court reporter lady has to leave the courtroom because she's crying. I just thought that was the most hilarious thing in the world because of these, you know, terrible things. Right. Just on the day of adoption, ice water full of blood is crying. I just thought that was hilarious, and I always like to share that, Michael. Wow. I'm glad you did. The Michael Berry Show. This is The Michael Berry Show. Uh, mainly family. Family is the most important thing. My friends always used to say, I wish I had a dad like your dad. I love that my mom could make it in any situation. It's not a choice. It's a child of God. The Michael Berry Show celebrates adoption. Hugh writes, my name is Hugh. I'm a native Houstonian. I was adopted by Bill and Pat Bishop from DePelchin Children's Center when I was only six months old. A classic case of a couple that could not conceive, so they adopted. But once the pressure was off, they gave birth to my sister a year later. I've always known I was adopted, one chosen, one conceived. Always knowing, coupled with parents that loved us equally, had me never desiring to find my birth parents. I've signed on to the Pelchins Registry, which says I'm willing to be contacted by birth parents, but I've never had the urge to go looking on my own volition. Every adoptee is different in this regard, but since I lived this version, it's always seemed normal to me. I think Bill and Pat Bishop did a great job with me. At fifty years, 51 years young, I'm in my 26th year as a career Texas peace officer. Their lessons still serve me well. My wife, Bonnie, and I have six children in our blended family. My daughter, her two sons and a daughter, and our two grandsons that we adopted. So they are now our sons. It's unfortunate that so many grandparents are having to raise their grandkids these days. But the choice was us or strangers. Without a moment of hesitation, we said, if we're going to have custody of and raise our grandsons, then we're going all in. Best decision we ever made. 
like me with my knowledge of truth from the beginning. They've heard all along they were grandsons we loved so much we made them our sons. Wow. Now at ages six and seven, they're just starting to inquire more. We're working through it. Still worth it. In closing, adoption is great. I'm grateful that whoever my bio rents were, they were strong enough to give me something better through adoption. My daily mantra is, it doesn't matter how you got here. What you do now is what matters. Thank you for your time. Long-time listener, approximately seven-time caller. <laughs> Hugh Bishop, Liberty, Texas. Great story. Uh, let's go to Gary in Austin. Go ahead, my man. Hey, Michael. I really, really appreciate your show today. I'm a, I'm an avid listener from Austin. I called you just recently uh, celebrating that you're uh, – your new affiliate here, but I can't tell you how timely this is. I, uh, for years, have wanted to adopt. Um, I think if I can just dabble into it a little bit, what's kept me is I'm very traditional and I'm not married. So I'm, I think I'm one of those rare ones. <laughs> um, but uh, so there's been some apprehension um, about doing this, but I got started um, this past January. And literally, I could I could be licensed next week. I've withheld just a couple of forms because I've had some apprehension, um, and there there's some deep reasons for that. Uh, but just happened to be listening listening to you yesterday, and heard that you would have this show today. So I've been listening to everybody, and um, honestly, Michael, I didn't call to, to say this, but I'll just say it. Um, I'm I'm all in now. And and I, I really appreciate all the comments that everyone has, has have called in and made, and and certainly your you know your passion uh, for foster kids and and, uh, and and just adoption in general. Uh, but it's been a struggle, you know. I've had so many folks you know put fear in me about about the process and 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 so many things. Um, but uh, it's it's been uh, it's been quite refreshing listening today. Um, until you hear really seriously until you hear and i guess i just haven't but until you hear all the stories and and such encouragement and and uh, you know someone said earlier and i think you reiterated the the saying god works in mysterious ways i'm not a believer in that I, i i think he works in awesome ways and i think because our feeble minds don't get it uh we think it's mysterious but um uh, I, I think we will get it if we if we just pay attention, and that's what I'm trying to do. I think you're right. I got to get a couple more calls in real quick. Cheryl, go. Yes, um, my sister. We got a call from the hospital, and we they asked if we could take five kids home, and I said yes. And then my older sister decided to take the boy, so I brought four girls home. Two of them being four day old twins, a two year old and a six year old. So uh, we were just going to. Uh, do it for six months, take foster classes, and she was supposed to get them back at at six months, and she did everything they said. And then they asked us if we wanted to adopt because she didn't complete everything. And um, actually, she's still struggling. So I've had, now there are four and six, and my older sister adopted the other two. So we had five kids adopted on the same day two years ago. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Hey, I don't, I don't know what else to say other than, wow, that's fantastic. Jennifer in Friendswood, go. Hey, um, I'm a cancer, uh, ovarian cancer survivor and wasn't able to have children. And 
uh, was very blessed by God and uh, was able to adopt twin girls, and they were babies when I got them, and now they're seven years old, and they are the loves of my life. And the guy that says that he just would be a single parent, I'm a single mom with twins that I adopted, it's the most fulfilling and blessing thing that he will ever do. So he should go for it because he's going to give a child a home and, a, and love and a life that they would not otherwise have. Thank you for sharing that, Jennifer. Al, you're the last caller of this segment. Go. Okay. I'm originally from Baton Rouge, but I now live in Houston. But I'm one of seven children that were adopted by a beautiful mother and father who raised us. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better life. I'm also a triplet. So they adopted seven of us that were all brothers and sisters from the same mother that gave us up for adoption as we were born, and my mother picked us up out of New Orleans and brought us to Baton Rouge and raised us. Back then, it was just a signature and an attorney letter. Right. Now it's a little more complicated. Right. You are absolutely right. Wow. <laughs> I hear so many of these stories. It, 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 there were fewer laws and regulatory agencies and, and court proceedings, uh, you know, uh, a few a few years ago. I had a friend— um, he and his wife were looking. We were on city council together. They were they were looking to adopt, and a police officer made a scene where somebody ended up in the hospital, and she met this woman, and she's about to give birth, and she knows she can't take care of this child, and the, the city councilman got a call from the police officer, and they sort of worked a private adoption, and from the call to him bringing his baby home, was a matter of of weeks or, or maybe less, and they had a baby, and it just changed their lives for all the good. Great story. Michael Berry. I feel like I get a lot of information from his show. The Michael Berry Show. Being with family and just all of the family together. Thankful for my awesome parents. My father. And he would help me with my homework. And to that end, I, in fact, became a high school teacher. I just remember his work ethic and, and what he did to get me to where I, I am at now. Any man can make a baby, but it takes a real man to raise a child. Today, we celebrate adoption on The Michael Berry Show. Yes, we do. I got a note from my friend Katie Key that uh, she was promoting, advising, publicizing on a project that Radney Foster and Kyle Hutton were working on. Kyle Hutton, of course, singer-songwriter in Texas. And many of you uh, will know the work of Radney Foster. You probably, more of you know the work of Radney Foster than you'd realize because he's written songs for Gary Allen, Sarah Evans, Keith Urban, Jack Ingram. And more, he's recorded plenty of his own. Um, but the two of them were working together on a project. The reason I was interested in this is it's about the Texas. It it benefits the Texas foster care system, and it's to bring attention to that. And I thought today was a good day for us to discuss that. Kyle, glad to have you on. What are y'all working on? Man, I'm glad to be here, and thanks for this this show you're doing. It's definitely near and dear to our hearts. Uh, you know, the definition of foster is to, to mentor or nurture, and uh, Radney Foster has done that for so many of us singer-songwriters down here in Texas. And I was adopted through the Telchin Children's Center right here in Houston when I was six weeks old, and I'll, I'll never get to go back and thank whoever it was that took care of me for that first six weeks of, of my life. But it made such, a, such an impact that my wife and I uh, decided two years ago to become 
foster parents and had about seven kids through our house over that period of time. And as a songwriter, I just started collecting ideas around the experience and, and went to uh, that guy that's been a mentor to so many in Texas, Radney Foster, and said, man, let's let's use our skills to try to bring some awareness to uh, uh, the, the foster uh, care and adoption efforts here in the state of Texas. And in true fashion, he was all in and, and uh, we're knee deep in recording after writing four of the best songs that, that uh, both of us feel like we've ever written. And uh, that's, that's, that's kind of the long and short of it. You've been getting support from uh, the state music office, uh, from CPS, from Lieutenant Governor, from the governor's office. So that's good to hear. Yeah, it's been it's been an amazing ride. You know, there there's some things in life that you try to make happen, and then there are some things that just happen. And and uh, this really seems to be a story that uh, that is unfolding, and and I think it's timely. You know, we've all seen the articles about kids, you know, sleeping in in state buildings, and uh, you, you've been talking all day today about some of the challenges facing the the foster system. And to be honest with you, uh, uh, Michael, you know, I I feel like as somebody that was adopted and has benefited uh, greatly uh, from this and, and uh, was fortunate enough to have parents that that raised me to to know God and, and, and be in church. You know, I, I feel like there's some pretty uh, there's some pretty strong statements in the Bible that I say I believe about taking care of kids in our community. And so, uh, you know, one of the interesting things to me, Michael, is that now that I'm on the flip side of it and, and having the opportunity uh, to be a foster parent, you know, I, I think those those commands or those urgings uh, that are given to us as people of faith, I, I'm now learning that they weren't put there necessarily because the kids needed us as much as we need the kids. You know, I uh, one of the things I bristle at is if people thank me for being an adoptive parent. Thank you for what you did for those kids. And I said, Please don't say that. It makes me feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> not because I'm humble, because I'm not, or modest, but because I didn't do it to save the world. If I did, I, I could do a lot more. I did it because we wanted children. We wanted that experience. And, you know, we're no different to these two children than we would be you know, had we had we birthed them at, at Texas Children. I mean, it's just it's what you do. It's naturally what you do. But the fostering system, I have to say, the people who do that, I I hold them in the highest esteem because emotionally I think it's I think you have to be a very strong person to welcome someone into to welcome a child into your home, to love them as if they are your own, uh, to care for them and to know that they may be there a day or a year and they may be gone. And I think that that takes a level of love for the goodness of humanity. It's the one of the most selfless forms of love you can have. And obviously you're trying to bring more attention to the fact that we need more of them. I was reading in your materials that there are 16,000 children in the Texas foster care system, and 4,000 of them are currently available for adoption. Um, to think yeah. that there are children out there that are available to be adopted and that we're not able to find a family for them yet. It's uh, that's where information is important because I believe there are plenty of people who would love to adopt these children. They just didn't think about, hey, wait a second, why, why don't we do that? We'd be perfect I, for that. I, I totally agree. And, and and just to put a finer pin on those numbers, 
there's about 16,000 kids that are uh, under the care of the Department of Family and Protective Services in, in Texas, so in the paid foster care system. And then there's about another 14,000 or so that are in kinship placement, so with families or, or, or loved ones of the families that are the parents are being given some time to, to uh, get their lives together and work services. Um, but it's that 4,000 to 5,000 number that really stood out to me. And Michael, as a person that, that's, you know, grown up going to church, uh, I, I wanted to go in and find out, okay, if there's that many kids that are available for adoption, you know, how many churches are there in Texas? How many people uh, are involved in faith-based organizations on an ongoing basis? Because to be honest with you, 4,000 to 5,000 kids sounds like a doable number to me uh, when I think about the number of people that I know uh, believe that we have a responsibility to take care of kids in our community. So I found a census that was done in 2010. That's the most recent information that I could find. And that census showed um, once you figured out the average number of people in a household in Texas, that census showed that there were just over 4 million homes in the state of Texas that attend faith-based services on a weekly basis. And if you start to do a little bit of math, you find that if 0.12% of the people, a fraction of a percent of the people that are showing up every Sunday uh, to a church or, uh, uh, you know, synagogue, if those people knew about this situation, and I believe that those people are out there, I believe it's a lack of education, not a lack of desire to help mm-hmm. kids in our community. It's more information. So, Kyle, yeah, I, so, I am up against a break. Thank you for what you're doing. Really quickly, What the project comes out in March, the the uh, the album. What will it be called? Uh, it's called The Foster EP, and you can find out information at thefosterep.com. Thefosterep.com. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it, Kyle. Thank you. Kyle Hutton and Radney Foster working together on that project, and uh, look forward to it. We'll probably have them back on whenever that whenever that comes out. All right. Thank you for your emails. We've read them all. Uh, we will continue the discussion on our evening show. And to all of you out there who don't call in but – but do lend the caseworker. Boy, that call really sticks out in my mind. That woman, that's her ministry, being a caseworker. You can have a ministry wherever you are in whatever you do. 